welcome to mini episode 72 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? I have four lovely stories for you today and the last story comes from the 4th of July 2020. Are you ready? Nope. And story number one comes from Francesca. I had a series of unexplainable experiences starting in August of 2015 when my husband and I drove to Boston from upstate New York to catch a Faith No More concert. The show was phenomenal and we enjoyed a very upbeat and memorable night. The next day we decided to drive through Salem, Massachusetts, before making our way back home. Neither of us had ever been to Salem and we were both always fascinated by spooky things. We only planned to stop for an hour or so before getting back on the road and landed at the Old Burying Point Cemetery, which I believe to be the oldest cemetery in Salem. Some of the magistrates from the witch trials are buried there. The cemetery also sits next to the memorial for those who were hanged or pressed during the trials. Alex and I knew very little about Salem's history at the time, so we were soaking it in as we read the memorial plaques and meandered through the beautiful old-timey headstones. It was hard to feel spooked on such a warm sunny day milling around with the other tourists. But then, out of the clear blue, it felt as though my bare back was lashed with a cat-o'-nine-tails whip made from stinging nettles. I yelled to my husband to get it off me as I made one hell of a scene on a bright sunny day in the middle of the cemetery. I was wearing a racer-back tank top and carrying a small crossbody purse. When Alex looked at my back he saw two raised scratches. Although the ends of each scratch were visible on my exposed skin, each mark also went under the fabric from my tank top and the strap of my purse. Needless to say, it was my first time being thoroughly terrified in the middle of the day surrounded by a fair number of people. Since then, I've read a lot about the history of Salem in an effort to make some sense of why this happened to me, and I've yet to figure it out. Also since then, a few other strange marks mysteriously appeared on my back. It always felt like my skin had been burned. The worst one was about the size of my fist right on the spine at the base of my neck, and it hurt. I noticed it one evening in the shower when the water hit my back. Wondering if I had some sort of flesh-eating disease, I went to the nurse practitioner at work for her professional opinion. She had no idea what it was and claimed that she had never seen anything like it. Not only was it red and scabby, sorry that's gross, but it was almost like a bunch of little circles in the shape of a butterfly. At the same time, things started to break and get wonky in my house. And not like... Oh, I have an old house and shit breaks. But things would break in dramatic ways. For example, while I was using the spray nozzle feature on the faucet in my kitchen sink, the hose went from perfectly intact to practically shredded, exploding water all over the kitchen. Then there was the time one of the light bulbs from the chandelier above our bed exploded the instant my husband laid down, spraying tiny shards of glass all over him and the bedspread. These things happened infrequently at first, becoming more regular as time passed. Other light bulbs around the house exploded, various techie stuff new and used would cease to function. Finally, one morning before work, we reached our breaking point and it became too much. It also started costing too much to replace the stuff that was breaking. It started when the bedroom door flew open at 5am, waking us both from sleep. We then heard knocking from inside one of our hallway closets which would stop when we opened the closet door and then start right up again as soon as we closed the door and walked away. 
On my dresser, I had one of those toys that lights up like a strobe light when you strike it or bounce it on the ground. It just started giving me dazzling light shows just sitting by itself on the dresser. That day at work, I confided in a trusted co-worker about the expensive and annoying things happening at home. She told me about smudging with sage and suggested that Alex and I stand in the middle of our house and loudly declare that whatever was going on had to stop immediately. I assumed Alex would think that this was total rubbish, but right away he agreed to give it a try. We stood in the middle of the living room and took a stand. There was no giggling and no mincing our words. It was clear that we had had enough. And it must have been clear to the entity or the energy as well because it stopped. That was April of 2019. It has been over a year now and we seem to be free and clear. No more dramatic breakages and no more burns on my back. I also bought sage and learned how to smudge just to keep things tight. It all started with that brief visit to Salem. I will always wonder what it is about that place and why I was chosen to be violently attacked that day. I will always wonder if I brought some negative energy or spirit back to New York with me and why it remained in my humble little abode for almost four years. I have many questions and feel compelled to go back again one day in search of some answers. I feel oddly connected to Salem, but for now I keep plenty of sage on hand and enjoy quiet mornings without crazy light shows or needing to rub aquaphor on my back. This makes me wonder if the ghosts that hang around graveyards are bad ghosts that are looking to attach themselves to you. Why? Because tourists go to graveyards. I wonder if there's just just some people who are more susceptible to these things. And that's it. Graveyard or no graveyard. Like wherever you are, that maybe there's just some people who uh, an entity or an energy or a spirit or whatever will see and go, ha ha, you are, you are my human. I'm coming home with you. Like pets at pet shelters where they sort of pick you. <laughs> if uh, any spirits are listening, I am not uh, a very good person. So stay away. Thank you. This is quite brutal, right? It's pretty intense. And do you know what? We don't often talk about this. Having a haunting like this must genuinely be really costly. If everything in your house is being destroyed all the time, suddenly you might be like, actually, this is this is racking up a lot of money here. If you're having to replace electrics, new or old, like your faucets, whatever it is. I mean, aside from the fear and the inconvenience, the money is just not something we consider. It is not at all. And I'm glad that it was raised by Francesca because it was just something that I wouldn't have even considered. I need your help, though. My help? Yeah. Oh, why? Because I don't know what a racer back means and I'm trying to picture it. So you're going to have to help me out there. I feel like I think a racer back tank top is a tank top that has an open back uh, so that you can actually see bits of skin. Not necessarily an entirely open back, but there's like holes in it where you can see the skin. See, that makes it really weird then, doesn't it? Because if it, you know, like brambles make that raised scratch, right? That's always shown in haunting things. But if you get scratched by brambles, it doesn't normally go like under the material. It would just be the exposed bit. And this went under the material and the strap of the bag. And also, there wouldn't be brambles in the middle of a really well kept tourist graveyard. I know what you're trying to say. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be like, don't be ridiculous. But like, because in some graveyards they are overgrown. Like there's a little graveyard. There's this amazing graveyard outside, just outside of the city of Canterbury, that is behind a stone wall. And I don't know how old it is, or like, and it's completely overgrown. I'm dying to get in someday and have a snoop around and look at some of the graves and see when they're from. But like that, it's not very well kept. But a tourist graveyard, particularly in Salem 
is going to be really well kept. Yeah, I, I mean, I hadn't, I was, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> I was also, also saying it clearly wasn't Brambles, but I hadn't thought that there probably is no chance of Brambles being in the middle of a tourist site, is there really? I desperately want to go to Salem. It's such an incredible part of history, incredibly sad and destructive part of history, but also there's so much to be learned from it and like... The story of Salem itself is fascinating and what happened in the witch trials and, and actually the effect that had on Western society as a whole and how that changed people's thoughts and perspective. I just think it's a fascinating place. I would definitely love to go. It's another example of a story where they were confronted it and declared get out and it went, which is cool. I'm always very hopeful when we get those stories. Yeah, and I, and I can totally understand. Firstly, feeling like, Alex was going to go, oh, don't be ridiculous. Uh, but secondly, Alex going, do you know what? If this is going to work, I don't care because I'm not spending money on this anymore and I'm not living my life in fear. Totally understand it. If like a psychic or a, a, um, a spiritual cleanser said to me that you need to paint half of your face red and then write your name backwards on the other side and that would get rid of the ghost, I'd do it. Yeah, yeah, I know you would. Yeah. <laughs> and story number two comes from Charlie. My family have moved around a lot and different houses have always seemed to give off different vibes and energies. My dad would always be vocal about these kinds of energies and what he would experience because he said it ran in the family. The ability to be able to see and feel ghosts was something he grew up with. His grandmother was a medium. As a result, he always told us to be really careful when it came to spiritual experiences. For example, never use a Ouija board, never say Bloody Mary in the mirror, etc., He never wanted us to challenge the unknown. He had said that he had seen too much to risk it. This leads me to a night that I cannot explain and will never forget. This story is so bizarre that it just sounds like an outright lie, but I wish I was lying. Partly to make sense of it because this cannot be explained or rationalised by anyone that I have told it to, and I would love some logic behind it if I'm honest. I was 14 or so and had invited my friends around for a Halloween party. We decided to host it at my house because me and my family believed that it was haunted. My dad said he believed the presence in our house was a woman called Mrs. Cleverly, who had lived in the house before we did. Our neighbours told us that her last words before she passed away were, I'm coming back to the house, aren't I? The cliché things would happen. Items would go missing, we would catch glimpses of a figure in the downstairs hallway, which was an active area of the home, and we would hear footsteps on the stairs. Sometimes in the middle of a TV show, my dad would say, please leave us be, Mrs. Cleverly. And we just saw that as the norm. My dad often communicated with spirits. But he wasn't around to protect us from whatever happened at that Halloween party. He was away at the time, and honestly, I really don't know what his reaction would have been had he witnessed what me, my mum, my younger siblings and my four friends witnessed. The party itself started off normal. We watched the film Poltergeist and then afterwards played a few games. My friend suggested we should say Bloody Mary in the mirror. I told her my dad was really against that kind of stuff and I said we shouldn't meddle. She did it anyway. She turned the lights off in the living room, looked into the long mirror and said, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary... Bloody Mary. The living room became freezing cold slowly but surely. We found that odd but not too concerning. But then orange goo began to ooze out of the upper walls of the living room. 
It wasn't pure orange, kind of like a sickly pus orange. There wasn't a lot and it didn't dribble all the way down, but it was there and it was unexplained and we all witnessed it. In fact, it stained the wall in some areas for a long time. A few moments later, we then noticed some splatters of fresh red blood on a few of our paper skeletons that we'd used for decoration. They were scattered around the living room. We never decorated it with fake blood, and even if we had, it would have dried long before we had noticed it. We were all in the room, so we would have seen if someone had put it there as a prank. And you can tell the difference between fake blood and fresh blood. This looked like the blood from a nosebleed. My friends didn't want to stay in the house any longer and I couldn't blame them. Even my mum was freaked out. I decided to apologise to Mrs Cleverly. I felt a bit stupid doing it but I didn't know what else to do. Nothing like that ever happened again and we moved out not long after. I've experienced a lot of paranormal things. In fact, I own my own ghost walking business. It's called Morpeth Ghost Walks. So I know a thing or two about this sort of thing. But as someone who opens umbrellas indoors, doesn't avoid the number 13 and never feels the need to knock on wood, I do know that I will never say Bloody Mary in the mirror three times again. Well, Charlie, your dad sounds like my kind of person. Very straight, giving good public service announcements on my behalf. And yet again, we get proof that not listening to this public, these public service announcements go against you. I have never heard of anything quite as disturbing as orange pus goo coming out of the walls. It's a, that's rank. a weird one. That is something we've not had before. We've had lots of different stories before, but I don't know if we've had orange goo. And that is disturbing. That is disturbing. There's no getting around that, you know. Things like a bang or a knock can be explained by coincidence, and maybe the orange goo is coincidence, but what causes orange goo? Genuinely. Ghoulies. <laughs> <laughs> oh that was good how long have you been waiting to say that that was quick (laughs) since i teamed myself up for it Um, i enjoyed it i'm also there is another aspect of this story that i'm a little bit um not down with i feel like if your friend against your advice went through the bloody mary ritual she should have been made to stay in your house she shouldn't have had the option to go home oh i'm sorry is that how it works own your consequences that is very cruel (laughs) oh i'm sorry little friend uh, you've made this irrational decision to go to someone bloody Mary. Now you've got to deal with it. We're leaving. You can stay. Absolutely. That is shocking. <laughs> um, no, I don't have a logical explanation. I'm sorry. I genuinely don't. Like, is it? Was it a bizarre coincidence? Maybe. But where'd that blood come from? I'm just going to say, girl on the third floor, and leave it at that. <laughs> I'm actually traumatized. I'm moving on to the next story because I can't even. I can't. Stop it. (laughs) And story number three comes from Brittany. I grew up near Memphis, Tennessee. The whole city is filled with rich history and ghost stories. So it isn't that surprising that ghosts have followed me my entire life. I've never had an experience where I've seen objects move or gotten touched by anything, but I've had my fair share of apparitions. And I'll share a few of my experiences with you. The school I went to was supposedly built on top of a native burial ground. Near the middle of the school, there was this mound that we all just called the hill. And that was supposed to be where they moved the bodies during construction. My mom worked at the elementary school, and we were always the first ones there in the morning. The first ones there and the last ones to leave. I spent a majority of my childhood in that building. And one morning, I was doing my usual routine of turning the hallway lights on, 
It was around five in the morning, so it was still pretty dark outside. I started to walk down the kindergarten hall and stopped when I saw a little girl standing at the end of it. From what I could see, she was around two or three years old. She had pigtails and her head tilted to one side and was just staring. I thought I was being paranoid, so I kept walking, but she never went away. Luckily, I wasn't alone. I had my friend with me, who was also a teacher's kid, and she asked me if I saw her. That's when I panicked. If she hadn't seen the little girl, then everything was fine, but she did. So we took off running. Later that week, my other friend was telling me a story of a little girl she had seen walking the hallways. She had blonde pigtails and was really young, and always had her head to the side. I hadn't told anyone about my hallway experience, so this really scared me. I know that this little girl couldn't have been someone's kid that worked there because I knew all of the teachers and the children, and there's no way anyone could have gotten into the building because I always had to unlock the doors after we went inside. My second story takes place when I was in the second grade. My family moved into this small house by cornfields and it was very nice. I finally had my own room because my dad turned the only small room by the attic into a bedroom for my older sister. I would be sound asleep in my bed when my sister would burst through my door crying that someone was in her room. I always thought she was trying to scare me, but she swore she wasn't. We eventually switched rooms because she slept in mine almost every night. The first couple of weeks in the room, everything was fine. I actually loved it. I loved being away from everyone. But one night, I woke up to my light turning on and off. That wasn't unusual for me. My mom would flick the light on and off to wake us up in the morning. So I looked over to tell her good morning, but there was no one there. But the light was still going on and off. And the light switch was moving up and down. I saw that and panicked. I saw something move in front of my bed and looked and I will never forget what I saw. The light stopped flashing and stayed on and in front of me stood a tall black figure. He was reaching for me. I threw the covers over my head and stayed that way until morning. I've always had terrifying nightmares. They're very realistic and always wake me up in cold sweats but I know this wasn't a nightmare. I'm always able to tell the difference. My dad has seen this figure many times. I think I should mention though that my eldest brother was a satanic worshipper at the time. We didn't know this but he would perform demonic rituals in the house at night while we were all sleeping. We think that this might be the reason that I'm extremely sensitive to spirits and demons. My final story takes place only four years ago. I was about to start my 8th grade year of school. My sister was going to a high school in another city than I was so she started before me and my dad was at work, so I was at home alone. I fell asleep on the couch in my living room and started having one of the worst nightmares I've ever had. I still remember it to this day. I was at my grandmother's house with a friend and the devil was trying to claim my soul. I had an angel warn me to not trust anything that the man that was coming was going to give me. The next thing I know, a man is in my grandmother's kitchen with homemade brownies. My friend immediately ate one, but I refused which in turn made the man try to kill me. He chased me around screaming and I woke up terrified. A couple of nights later, I woke up to deep scratches on my stomach and I heard scratches coming from my closet. I thought it was my cat at first, but he was laying on the edge of my bed. He started growling and hissing in the direction of the closet until the scratching stopped. Then he promptly came back up to my chest and fell asleep. 
I've so many more stories I could tell, but I don't think any of us have the kind of time for that right now. I will say, though, on my mom's side of the family, it is believed that angels talk to us and guide us, so maybe that explains some things. Sorry, Dan, for the little girl's story. I promise you there's a whole other story to her that I didn't include, including bloodied hands on a library door, but I thought I'd spare you from that one. I mean, thanks, Brittany, but now you've got me creating an old, my own story in my head, which is going to be just as freaky. There's definitely people screaming now being like, what? Tell us the story. <laughs> so, Brittany, if you're listening, please do send in the other stories because I want to hear them. Why are they so common? Little girl ghosts. Why can we not just have shell suit ghosts? I wonder if it's to do with children being taken too early. Mm. And that's why they're not capable of moving on just yet. Like if you're an older person, your mortality is something that you are more in tune with and more aware of and maybe more accepting of. But for children, you don't think about dying, do you? Like death is a completely different concept and it seems like a concept for older people. So maybe it's about them not being ready to die. But so that means she's lost, but she's also obviously killed someone if she's got blood on her hands. So you don't know that it might be just a whole Macbethian thing. Who knows? Creepy. Or if you're Zach Bagans, she's definitely a demon. As much as I dislike the girl in this little girl in the story, uh, there's a far more scary part of this story to me. I cannot handle I cannot handle the vision of the light switch moving on its own when the lights going on off. Nope. That is. It's the switch moving. Yeah. Because if the light was flashing on and off, you could say that's an electrical fault, you know, or there's like a storm surge or something is happening to make that move. But the fact that the light switch was physically moving is traumatizing. But I'm not okay with that. I'm really not okay with that. And story number four comes from Rev T. This dates back some years ago when we had to move to Orange, Texas. We had a house in Logansport, Louisiana as well. And my dad got a phone call that the house in Logansport had been broken into. And so they went up there to check out what had been messed up or stolen or destroyed. When they arrived, they started going through things and seeing what was missing and cleaning things up. While cleaning things out of my sister's room, they found an old Ouija board that was given to her when she was a young girl by a step-aunt. They gave it to her one year for her birthday and my family were very religious. My dad decided that he needed to get rid of it, but he had always heard that if you threw it away, it would find its way back to the owner, so he decided that he would burn it. And he went up to my grandmother's house to find the stuff that he needed to burn it with. He laid it out on the ground and tried to light it with a match, and the match went out. He then went into the garage and found some charcoal lighter fluid, He proceeded to pour it onto the box and try to light it. But needless to say, it still didn't light. He used almost a whole bottle and a box of matches, but it still didn't work. My dad was a believer in prayer, and he began to pray, asking God for help and guidance. He walked back into the garage and found some lawnmower gas and took the lid off the box and laid the board on top crossways and filled the bottom of the box with gas and a bit on the board as well and then he began to pray and struck a match and held it to the board. Gas usually ignites from the fumes but he still had to hold it to the board and as he prayed the board began to burn in the centre, not on the edge where the match was. He and my sister backed away as the board was burning 
and without warning, the fire exploded straight up into the air, 15 to 20 feet, and a loud scream came from inside the board, louder and louder. It screamed, and then smoke as black as the night started to emit from the board. It sounded like the board was screaming and moaning, and the smoke moved towards my dad. Every direction he went, the smoke came at him. He even put the wind at his back, and the dark smoke followed him, but with one final scream, it was gone. The board and the box were gone as well, just a small bit of ashes and an indentation in the ground where the board had been. They came home to Orange, Texas, and we went to church the next day. And everything was good, or so we thought. When we got home, none of the keys would work on any of the four doors that we could enter into our house. My dad thought of one door that led to the kitchen that was not in the best shape, that he could just bust it in and maybe replace it later. My dad tried to push on the door to gain access. But instead of the door pushing inwards the window shattered out onto him like something was thrown out of it. We eventually got inside, but my dad felt like something was on his leg. So he sat in the recliner and removed his trousers that he wore to church and blood was pouring out of a wound on his leg. He never felt any pain. He had bled so much that you could pour the blood from his shoe like you were pouring a drink. There was no damage to his trousers whatsoever. There was no blood on any glass and we bandaged him up and tried to make the best of the rest of the day. But little did we know that that was the beginning of a lifetime of hell on earth. The demon house is what we ended up calling it. We had no way of moving because we had rented this place from my step-grandfather. We lived in it for as best as I can remember another five years or so until we were older and out of school. My dad will not talk about it to this day and he is in his 80s. When I ask or even mention the incident, he begins to pray and just walks away. My sister is the same way. I've learned to deal with a lot from spirits, shadows, dreams and even demons. And I'm 46 as I write this to you to share it with you. It's funny how I can see these events play in my mind over and over but I can barely remember my own birthday sometimes. I'm a preacher now and have been for about five years and it feels like I'm reliving each moment as I type them on my phone. After my father was attacked, after the Ouija board was burned and that's when strange things began to happen. The duplex that we were renting for my step-grandfather were old naval barrack houses that he had purchased. We rented both sides and made it one big home. Sometime after these events, we noticed that weird things were happening around the house. It was late one night and my dad and I were in the living room sitting on the couch watching TV. We heard clicking coming from what we thought was the wall. The couch was located next to the front door of the main entrance to the home. It was winter time and all the house was closed up and sealed because of drafts. These were old houses. We covered the windows with plastic wrap and duct tape. We only had one radiator heater that we used because of the price of natural gas. The clicking got louder and louder and the front door just opened. The main lock was still locked, sticking out, not bent, not broken, just like it was locked but not shut. The thing is, it was a barrel lock, 
that you had to lift and slide to latch. My dad got up and whoosh, a blast of cold air went through him, but the glass outer door was closed. He stumbled back and looked at me, clearly confused by what had happened. He closed the door again and locked it and sat back down. And that was when he took a piece of paper and put it in the doorway of my sister's room to check for drafts. When we looked at the paper, it would never move. But out of the corner of your eye, you could see the paper moving. My dad told me to stop. We turned off the TV and we watched the paper full on. And that's when the paper went absolutely insane. It was swinging around violently and then it stopped dead and started to spin like a top. My dad again got up to see if there was a draft, but there was no draft anywhere. And then the door yet again flew open with the barrel latch still in the lock position. That night after my family got home, we went to bed and my brother came into my room and told me to leave him alone and go to sleep. I had already been sleeping and had no idea what he was talking about. And he asked me how did I get from one room to so far away so quickly. I didn't understand what he was talking about and he said, You were just jumping on my bed and when I turned over you ran out of the room. I told him to go back to sleep and he was having a bad dream. And he asked me how can it be a dream when I'm clearly wide awake. We went back to bed and then I heard him run into another room and flick the light on and start yelling. I walked down the hallway to see what was wrong, and he said again that somebody was jumping on his bed. We looked around and there was nothing. I locked my door and went back to bed, and as I lay there trying to sleep, with my music playing on my headset, I noticed that my door was beginning to rattle. I yelled and told them to leave my door alone, and it stopped. I laid there some more, trying to fall asleep, and my door began to shake violently this time. And again I yell out to stop and I hear glass shattering. I got up to turn my light on to see that my full-length mirror is shattered, spider-webbed, like something had, or someone had punched it. Although nothing else happened that night, I didn't sleep either. I told my dad about it, but I never took that mirror down. The next day was a Saturday and my brother and my cousin and I were in the house, alone. It was quiet and peaceful until there was a huge crash at the back part of the house. We checked each room to see what it could have been, and eventually we got to my brother's room. In my brother's room he had a dresser, and on top of the dresser was a really big mirror, and in front of the mirror was a load of figurines. The mirror was at the other side of the room, completely smashed, and not one of the figurines had been moved. I began to experience serious sleep paralysis and we ended up staying in that house for about eight or nine years just dealing with everything that was happening. Eventually we all grew up and moved out and my parents moved back to Louisiana. The house was sold and the people who moved in moved out a year later and burned the house to the ground but refused to sell the land. They would never say why but I think I know. To this day, I still dream about the Hell House. I can't believe it. There's people that actually followed through with what I always say I would be my response and they actually burned the house down. Yeah, fair play to them. That is some crazy stuff going on there. 
it's got bad vibes. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. All of the stories that we get about the Ouija board are just confirming your PSA. Like I did have visions at some point of us like playing a Ouija board for a YouTube video or, you know, in somebody else's house, obviously not in this house because I know that wouldn't happen. Uh, But the way you're vigorously shaking your head right now and the confirmation of all these stories means that I know that's never going to happen. Nope. Never, ever, ever. Which is incredibly disappointing for me. I have to say, I wasn't fixated on the Ouija board because the the way that they destroyed it made me think of uh, the story about Elijah calling fire down from heaven in the Bible, uh, which I just think is a really cool story. So that's what I was thinking about when you were reading about the Ouija board. So I wasn't so fixated on it. Yeah, I don't really remember any Bible stories, to be honest. I'm not very not very good with that sort of thing. It's just, it's fascinating, isn't it? That the family experienced all this like weird, just all that weird stuff. People jumping on beds, doors unlocking. Not being able to set it light as well. Like that sounds like something out of a horror movie, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. And then actually the level that the dad went to to burn it would, would is like three scenes too long to be a horror movie. <laughs> but it's definitely a man after your own heart though. Yes. He, he decided to burn that thing. He didn't give up. And then eventually they burnt the house down, which is exactly your kind of answer to all of these questions. And fair play to him for agreeing not to sell the land on as well. Like the next owners, that seems to be solid, solid safety practice. Spooky safety practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you can get access to heaps of extra content. And I would like to let you all know that... Uh, it is now hot in Canterbury, so we are apparently back to recording with Dan half naked. <laughs> so, and <laughs> uh, we shall see you next week. Bye.